Now, yesterday morning, I started by sharing with you uh, the imagery that I use when I uh, prepare to stand in front of a group of people <laughs> with the, do you remember the pyramid? And I talked about the big, the big brass bowl and, and standing behind that to uh, hopefully shine God's light into where it needs to go. So would you join me in, in, in that prayer this morning? Lord Jesus, we're here for you. We're here to meet with you. And Lord, I pray that as I speak, that people would not see me, but they would see you. Everything is for you. So Lord, we ask that any words that I preach, that are of me, will just float away. But the precious pearls from you will just rest in our hearts and bring your true transformation. Amen. Well, exciting. You know, we started yesterday with that, that really hard verse. Uh, Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Well, today is the joy bit, okay? We're going to tap into that, and that's really exciting. Um, and yesterday, uh, I was going to talk about uh, the process of how you, how I refine glass and, and transform it into something else. Um, and we ran out of time. <laughs> Because God took over, which is the perfect reason to run out of time, isn't it? Um, but we're going to kick off with it this morning. So I need no reminders that we are left with these clunky bits of glass that we've given to God. Uh, we've got no clue what he's going to do with. Um, I also shared about how when I was at Charlotte's house a while ago, I felt that God really revealed something of, of his care for us through my work with glass when I do glass fusing. And so we're going to look at a bit of, of that. So, firstly, the concept of being refined by fire is quite a biblical one, isn't it? And I've always associated that with Daniel being thrown into the furnace and just like fiery. Oh, kind of like, what's happening? It's incredible. You know, almost like just being cast aside and left to deal with it. <laughs> but God uh, met with me because I wasn't in a great place. And, uh, and the way that Jesus used to choose his parables to suit the audience, God was gracious enough to use my own creativity and artistry to speak to me on a personal level about how it is anything but indiscriminate when we are in that point of feeling like we're being refined by fire. So, the creator. Now, there's obviously a parallel here between me making the glass but mostly it's about God, <laughs> our creator. So he takes these bits, these chunky, beautiful, fragile, broken, unique pieces, and controls every aspect of that firing for the good of what goes in. And we might not feel that God is with us through our trials, but he is. Back to that imagery of the footprints. There's footprints of God's not ours, aren't there? God is controlling every part of the environment around our trials for our good. And we can trust him with our broken pieces. So can we have the next slide? So, when I'm making glass, we get the broken bits and we pop it on a glass on a shelf to go in the kiln. If we just heated that straight up to the top temperature, 
chaos would ensue inside that kiln. <laughs> the glass heats up, the pressure builds. <laughs> you can imagine all those layers of glass, they start to melt onto each other, they trap air, they've picked up fumes and greasy fingerprints through life. All of that stuff is building up. If the artist, the creator, allowed it to ramp straight up to that top temperature, it would explode. If it didn't explode, it would be so disfigured by that process, it would be unusable. But no, you hold it at that certain temperature to just allow time for those fumes to, build, to burn off, for the pressure to ease. And it's literally called a bubble soak. So that you, you, you hold it and the pressure comes out and the bubbles just release. There's space built in. It holds steady and the pressure is released. Let's have the next one, Aidan. So at this point, then the glass is ready to be taken to the top temperature to be transformed. And it ramps up and then everything that went in as separate pieces like this becomes made new. All those sharp edges get rounded. It's recognisable, but it's new, it's repurposed. And it's now a new thing. It's truly the work of the artist. It's taken all of the broken, fragile, shattered pieces and made it new. But it doesn't stop there. Let's have the next one. Now, if I just turn the kiln off and let it cool, that wouldn't be good either. It would just shatter. The stress of that new change, that transformation, needs care and control and nurturing. So there's a controlled descent. <laughs> is that my pipe in there? <laughs> and the temperature is held, still in the heat. It's still uncomfortably hot, but it's so important to stay there and to rest and to wait because this is when the annealing happens, which when the strengthening happens. So this new creation that has withstood the highest of heights of temperature <coughs> is now at this point made strong. This is where it gathers its strength and it becomes mature in its new creation. So the properly rested and annealed glass is now fantastically strong able to bear intense heat and totally transformed by the care and attention of the one in control. <coughs> Something fragile and broken has become strikingly beautiful and infinitely stronger. And can you see how that really spoke to me about where I was at the time? Then I felt as though I was cast aside to just deal with the refiner's fire. It's just something we all have to go through as part of our discipleship night. But no, God graciously revealed to me how he's so with me, so faithful, so caring, so nurturing, and how he can use any situation to mould me into somebody that is stronger because of it. And made new, not comfortable, but stronger nonetheless. And that's really uh, what I wanted to share 
about that glass. So we're going to dive back into James <coughs> before we uh, look at the final part of our journey of our glass. So if you've got your Bible, our last session with open hands, didn't we? Nothing in them. But what does that mean for going home? <laughs> Doesn't teleport us out of our situation, does it? <laughs> Life is still the same as it was before. What does that mean for when we leave Cloverleaf today? And uh, I think we can find some of those answers in, in James. So if we read from verse 22 of chapter 1. <coughs> Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts is as pure and faultless in is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. eloquent call to action, isn't it? <laughs> this is what God requires of us. Is to act and to do. And so, that doesn't mean we're going to go and hunt down our piece of glass and fish it back out and sit back on it and, uh, and go back to where we were. <laughs> that doesn't mean that Every time we react to somebody who we find difficult, we're completely derailed and that's it. <laughs> we give up. It doesn't mean that we continue to chase people with Jews that won't fit them <laughs> and expect them to, you know. It doesn't mean that we continue to wear shoes that don't fit. Maybe today is about accepting change. And that's really hard, isn't it, sometimes? It might be that we're not going to believe the lies, and actually we're going to say yes to some stuff. We're going to say yes to God. We're going to say yes to God before we know what he's asking us to do. That's, that's tough, because I need answers. <laughs> I need to know what I'm signing up for. We need to say yes to God with our open hands. And so going, going back to the difficult relationship maybe, um, like I said when I, when I came to Christchurch, the challenge is being able to pray for that person or that church or that situation 
without an agenda, without telling God what we want him to do for them for our benefit. <laughs> Just to say, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on that person. Flood them with you. Let the light pass out of darkness. What a beautiful, God, powerful prayer. Because it's putting God centre, not our own agenda. That's the open hands, isn't it? That's really hard. I'm a lift girl. <laughs> I like bullet points. I like lists. I like the God lists. <laughs> but he doesn't want them. He wants my childlike trust. And that's hard. We're going to say yes to being a temple to each other. Because we're family. And if God is talking to us this weekend, we need to say yes to sharing that with somebody else that's here. And not letting that go, but praying about it together and testing it. We should test things, shouldn't we? To find out if they're true and good and the way we should be doing. So we say yes to enriching our fellowship together and being accountable. We say yes to daring to dream. That's where this theme comes in, isn't it? We can do this. God can do anything. It's all about him. You know, um, <laughs> I have struggled, well, yeah, we all struggle, don't we? But listening to the call of God in my life has been really hard. Um, I'm sure it has for many people, but for my personal story. But um, I shared yesterday that I was raised in the Apostolic Church um, which is a Pentecostal evangelical church, uh, really, um, really strong, profound Bible teachings, uh, and it was it was a really good uh, formative time for me. And I'm really blessed to have had that in my kind of early years and, and all that. Um, but every church is different, aren't they? <laughs> and it, every church leadership is different. And in that church, at that time, women were not seen as authoritative speakers. And that was what I accepted. <laughs> and coming to Christchurch was amazing for me, not least because there were people my age, but there were women who were on the stage, on the platform, and people were listening to them with respect. And I find that like this. <laughs> At the time, uh, some of you might remember Ruth Dammon. She was uh, a warden or an elder at the time. I thought that was just incredible. I kept looking around, wondering why people weren't a bit more shocked, weren't they? <laughs> because we're just shaped by our environment, aren't we? And the more time I spent in Christchurch, the more time over the years I've had to really revisit the things that I, the church leadership that has been so fundamental to my my growing up, that I haven't questioned it. And tied in with that, I could hear the still small voice of God calling me into leadership. But I wrestled so much because women don't bring leadership. <laughs> What's that? I mean, how can that be right, you know? So, you know, there's a whole list of stuff. I can't follow God's call because, you know, there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> And, uh, and so I struggled, and I wasn't saying yes to God with open hands, and I wasn't trusting God that if he says it's right, who am I, <laughs> really, to say no? But God gave me a wonderful lady, you might know, as a bit of a busy way, 
my uh, spiritual director. <laughs> At the time, Matt and I were doing a lot of youth work in Christchurch. And uh, Paul Cross, Paul and Katie Cross were the youth uh, paid youth workers at the time, and they were setting up a mentoring uh, thing where uh, adults, respectable adults in the church, <laughs> uh, forged a, a relationship with one of the teenagers to help them uh, through difficult phases in a one-to-one -one mentoring situation. And uh, and I had agreed to be mentored to somebody, and I thought it was only right and accountable for me to have the same relationship with somebody else. Do you know what I mean? If I was going to be so I asked the lovely Lizzie if she would be my spiritual director. And, that, and uh, then we had a beautiful relationship based on coffee at Dobby's. <laughs> and it was great. And we had many wonderful chats, didn't we? And some of that was me working through my, my wrestlings of women in leadership. And, and we both had really good discussions, didn't we? And, uh, and throughout that, I really struggled with how can God call me into leadership? I'm not even talking ordained leadership, any leadership, as a woman. But God's gracious, isn't he? And he met with me. And he spoke to me. And he just led me forward. And so many times along my path, there's just been these little golden moments that have not been of my making. <laughs> but God has graciously called me and said to me, this is the way you're doing it. And it might be, that's really speaking to you for something that you're struggling with right now. How can God be calling me into that? Now I have to say, women can be vicars. Woo! <laughs> I have to say that God has really taken me on quite a transformational walk. And now I fully accept the leadership and authority of a leader of any gender because it's about God, isn't it? This, um, this is my personal feeling. And I feel released into that ministry to take, for God to take me, he can take me wherever he wants me to go. Because it's all about him. I'm the one behind that brass dish. <laughs> it's about aiming the light of Jesus into the darkness. And if I'm the one that gets to hold that dish, then I'm, let's bring it on. <laughs> so that's my journey. But it's about daring to dream. I've gone from being terrified that maybe there's this confusing thing where God might be calling me to leadership and I don't understand, to being excited and empowered and just open to God to see where he leads. And that's my dream for Christchurch, individually, but as a group as well, to catch a vision and to not worry about what's gone before and what we've what our perceptions have been, but to just say open hands to God, here we are, it's about you, where can we go with this? That is exciting, that's daring to dream, that's allowing God to do his stuff with our brokenness. Now, I did, I told you I practiced this, and let me tell you, the hammer did not bounce at home. <laughs> I practiced this. Because I wanted to check, you know, that it would get. But also, I couldn't bring my kiln here for obvious reasons. But I did take an exact bottle, the exact same one, the exact same running duck, Sauvignon, whatever it was, and smashed it up. And I took it through the refiner's fire in my kiln. And this is what we made. 
brought all our pieces together and brought them to the cross. And it's the key is, it's not smooth and beautiful. Well, it doesn't need to be. And you can come and have a, have a touch and feel. You can still see every individual piece in there. Nobody's lost their identity. Nobody's been pushed to one side or hidden or disguised. We don't want that bit on display. It's all there. But it's been made new. And it's been made stronger. And it points to Jesus and the glory of the cross. Isn't that lovely? So we've got, and that's made a little space, a little open space for it. Well, he's really clever. So, I mean, I, I'd love to gift that to you as a church, just to take back as something to use in meditation or pop the door open with, <laughs> whatever. But it's all about the cross and being made new and stronger because of it, and stronger together. If any one of those pieces had skittered off across the way, it would be small and weak. But the strength lies with holding on together and allowing God to transform us and make us new. So that's your wine bottle. <laughs> So repurposed for God's glory. But what does that mean? It's the cross. All about compassion, isn't it? That last bit of James, uh, all about religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. It's to look after the orphans and the widows in in distress. It's to be active. It's to be to have compassion, which is the defining characteristic of our God, isn't it? What drives God? Compassion. That is the root. Do you know, um, I'm a church administrator, as I mentioned, uh, and the church that I work for has a, a missionary, Reverend George Irwin, he called. Gorgeous chap, runs a church in, oh gosh, it's a deserted Mississippi, somewhere Middle Eastern. <laughs> Geography is not my strong point. But he writes letters to the church which are just beautiful, and I happened to be uh, um, photocopying one to give it out the other day. And he wrote this, just as I was thinking about uh, the compassion of, of God. And so I'm going to read it out to you. Now, these are his words, okay. If I can twirl it. There we go. Compassion is what motivates God. Jesus' life on earth was a picture of that compassion in action. His whole ministry is driven by it. It was compassion that caused him to multiply the loaves and fishes. Compassion caused him to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. It was compassion that compelled him to the cross. It's that same compassion he longs to pour out through us. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? His healing must flow, flow through our hands and our faith. His compassion must move us to provide for the hungry. It must compel us to cast out demons and set the captives free and proclaim his glory in our world. But I don't have that kind of compassion, you might say. 
Yes, you do. <laughs> if you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you, you do. You just need to activate it. How? Just like Jesus did when he walked on this earth. Through prayer and fellowship with the Father. Look through the Gospels and notice how much time Jesus spent alone with his Father. That time activated the compassion of God within him. It caused him to feel what God feels about the suffering of mankind. It stirred him so much, whenever he encountered a need, he met it by the power of God. You see why I didn't need to rewrite that. <laughs> what an awesome man of God. But what a message for today. If we're turning, if we, we've been facing the, the past, we've given that stuff to God. And we are turning to face a new way. That's the true repentance, isn't it, actually? That's what repentance means, is to turn and face another way. But what are we going to do? What are we looking at? We don't need to worry if we don't hear a massive, wonderful call. All we need to do is spend time in prayer. To spend time chatting to each other and being accountable and loving each other. To reading the scriptures together. And all of that will come. God's compassion will be ignited within us. And we can look and see what God is doing and run with it. And not need all the answers. Because our open hands is all we need to carry. So God wants to put a gift in our open hands today. It's God's transformation. It's all about him. But it's our decision, isn't it? He doesn't force himself on anybody. Because he longs for us. Then we will know the joy, the bigger it's your joy when you face trials. Because through perseverance, you will know hope. And we will see the precious footprints of our Lord in our lives at those times. And then we will see that through those times of trial, if we trust in Him with our open hands, we will come out stronger able to bear more and repurpose in a beautiful transformation way. Now, I've got a song. I told you that I like movies. Is it going to be tricky to put on? No. But, so, Amelia's going to love this. There's a film called The Greatest Showman. <laughs> I also love a musical. So when we're thinking about dreaming dreams, before we go off for coffee, Let's just listen to this song and watch the words and listen to it. And it is the simple message of come alive. Let your light shine. Give those open hands to God. And we'll finish at the end of this song. Thank you. What's on my screen? It's on that screen. Great, that way. Yeah, no, I want it over. Is it playing? Yeah, I will.
Sorry, what? Oh, <laughs> tell Jack Jack, Jack I think, likes Moulin Rouge, and that's it. Oh, okay, sweet. I don't even Do you like that. Do you like Sweeney Todd? No. Yeah. They turn out people hating each other. I love musicals. Yeah. You're allowed to be wrong. You poor, poor man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Leave the original to sing it. I'm no Hugh Jackman, I can't. It's weird that he suddenly like came out, oh by the way I can sing. Oh yeah. It's like you McGregor. Yeah. Like he just full on like when he was doing he's never had three before. Towards me. There you go. And then he just comes out and does that. I'm falling over. It's because it's old stables, so they mm. they probably all go the opposite. What? Huh? That we were singing, or? <laughs> no, he just hates musicals. Oh, I know. <laughs> Open them. Right. Um. For that, you can finish typing up. Nope. Why not? I'm hungry. Yes. That's Catalina. Yes. I have no idea. Roughly <laughs> there. Yeah, it's on the screen. Um, the, the only reason I know it's Catalina is because it's the latest Mac update's name. Um, yeah, so that's what they like. It's a new Mac, and I haven't changed the background yet. And they put as um, yeah, Kath- Catalina. Catalina. Well, it is in the states somewhere. Because the, the last one was Yosemite. Catalina. I guess I could. I could even put the film on if they really wanted. Put the flex. Yeah. Sign your own lead. Ready? 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 Oh! Okay. <coughs> right, you ready? Ooh.